I'm John Tarleton with The Independent, New York City's progressive newspaper and website, joined by my co-host, Amba Gagarian. You're listening to WBAI 99.5 FM. Before we continue with our third segment, I want to again encourage everyone who values shows like this, who value community radio, who value peace and justice radio, to please call 516-620-3602 or go to give2wbai.org and make a one-time donation or better yet, sign up to become a WBAI buddy for as little as $10 per month. Again, that number is 516-620-3602, 516-620-3602, or go to give, the number 2, WBAI.org. And I'm Amba Gergarian with The Independent, joining John Tarleton as a co-host today. Yes, and we need you to give right now at 516-620-3602. With your support, we can keep the Independent News Hour and all of WBAI's great programs beaming across the New York City area from Brooklyn to the Bronx, from Long Island to Staten Island. This radio station only happens because you make it happen from Queens to Crown Heights to Prospect Heights to Diker Heights to Washington Heights to Cambria Heights, from Inwood to Norwood to Longwood to Ridgewood to Midwood, all across New York City. Will you give today 516-620-3602? We need you. Once again, 516-620-3602. From Houston Street to Harlem to Hoboken to the Hudson Valley, will you give us a call today at 516-620-3602? If you are in Montclair, will you dare? If you are in Secaucus, will you get raucous for WBAI? Only you can pick up that telephone and call the magic number. That's right, John. It's 516-620-3602. Again, to our listeners, 516-620-3602. Or go online to give to the number two, WBAI.org, to keep community radio on the air here in New York City and 100 plus miles in all directions. And if you can't pick up the phone right now uh, and call 516-620-3602, Please do so at the end of the show. Right now, we're going to move on to our final segment. Since uh, uh, since the COVID-19 pandemic reached the shores of America a year, a year ago, our Asian-American sisters and brothers have faced an increasing number of violent attacks, including many directed at elders in their community. For some people, it's easier to scapegoat Asian-Americans for the pandemic than to blame their own government, which was woefully unprepared to respond to the crisis. This past Friday, members of the Asian-American community gathered in Times Square to speak out. Angela Cuiso was an Asian-American who died at the hands of the police last year. She was a Filipino immigrant from a Navy veteran, and a Navy veteran. She loved gaming, scuba diving, and fishing. Okay, that that was uh, a speaker at the rally at Times Square on Friday evening uh, decrying... Uh, violence against the Asian-American community here in New York and across the country. Now, the Indies, uh, Leah Duran, has been giving this a lot of thought. She is the daughter of a Korean mother and an Irish-Italian father. She spent most of her childhood in Korea before returning to the United States for college and has been in this country uh, ever since then. Uh, She currently has a really brilliant article up on independent.org that explores the complicated nature of her identity and the fear and confusion she has been feeling as Asian Americans face this increasing violence and hostility when they go out in public. Her article is called 
being Asian American in a time of rising hate forces me to face my own divided feelings. Leah, thank you so much for joining us on the show this evening. Thank you so much for having me. Sure thing. Can you start uh, just by uh, describing a little bit your own experiences uh, with this uh, uh, hate and hostility and those of uh, your family members as well since the pandemic started last year? Sure. I mean, I would preface by saying my own experiences have been mild and I'm very fortunate in that. Um, I remember at the beginning of the pandemic or as we were getting more aware of the pandemic before it really started to change how we behaved here, I was telling a friend, I'm really nervous to wear a mask. I want to wear a mask because that's how we handle cold and flu season where I grew up. Everybody wears a mask. But uh, by that point, there had already been a few attacks on people in the subway, on Asian people wearing masks on the subway. So I was really nervous to put a mask on and go out into my neighborhood, knowing that that, besides being Asian, would additionally make me a target. Um, so the thing that happened that I would say could be most unquestionably defined as like a coronavirus-related Asian prejudice event was my mom was at the mall in Boston. And as she got into the elevator, a group of teenagers uh, walked up to the elevator, saw her, and started screaming about coronavirus and refused to get into the elevator with her. So she rode the elevator back up to the top of the mall by herself. And when she told me about that, she thought it was a really funny story. And I don't think she could understand why I was so angry that that had happened to her. Yeah, um, it's pretty angering. Hi, Leah, and thanks for coming on. You know, I think the confusion that you speak to in your article about speaking out about, you know, anti-Asian violence and prejudices has a lot to do with the fact that for decades, Asian Americans have been sort of held up as this model minority that has successfully assimilated into the dominant culture and is financially, you know, prosperous. But if you look a little bit more closely at American history, there's a long history of virulent anti-Asian bigotry. Can you elaborate on that and also maybe speak to how some of these financial um, stereotypes aren't necessarily true? Definitely. Um, so I would just quickly to start with early history, I would go over some of the things that I brought up in the article, just sort of the classic examples of the American problem with anti-Asian sentiment. So 1871, uh, about, I think it was 20% of the Chinese men at that point living in Los Angeles were lynched because two businessmen having a gunfight over a woman uh, killed a civilian, a white civilian in the crossfire. So a 500-strong mob of men came into that area of Los Angeles and um, lynched uh, 18 Chinese-American boys and men. I'm sorry, it's 10% of the population. Um, what made this even more unjust was that there had been a statute passed by the California legislature in 1863 which prohibited Asian Americans from participating in court proceedings, either as witnesses or victims. So how do you pursue a case for justice when you are not allowed into the court? Um, and ultimately, some of them were convicted of manslaughter, but they were all released a year later when uh, the California Supreme Court overruled their convictions. Um, other examples are the Chinese Exclusion Act, which was signed into law by uh, President Arthur. And that was meant to block Chinese workers from coming into the country and 
you know, the refrain that we hear to immigrants over and over again in American history is taking white jobs. Um, so it was actually not removed until uh, 1943. And it was actually renewed every 10 years since it was uh, put in place. Um, in 1904, it was extended in perpetuity. So eventually this ended up with them creating something called the Asiatic Bard Zone, which covered whole huge swath of Asia all the way from Turkey to parts of Polynesia. And from any of those places, you could not immigrate here unless you were within a very narrow group of professions that were accepted. Right. Um, and, and you may have mentioned this, but the Chinese Exclusion Act, uh, you know, for our listeners, was actually the first act of excluding anyone um, from, from this country, um, which is, you know, I think says a lot. Yeah, and we have a lot of echoes that now with Trump's, you know, Muslim ban, the saying a ban on all Muslims. That's something that is a throwback to 100 years ago. Right. Not allowing anyone in from the southern border, et cetera. Right. Yeah, it's pretty unfortunate. So would you say that with this sort of like, you know, at least we're seeing more in the news that there's a lot of anti-Asian violence, anti-Asian American violence here. Mm -hmm. um, does it feel like you're being thrown back and you or do you think that the community feels like it's being thrown back into an earlier era that mostly seemed to be left in the past? Or would you say that there's a little bit of an upswing, but maybe it's just getting more news attention? I don't know. Do you have a take on that? I mean, it's I talk a lot in the article about the diversity of experience among Asian Americans. So I think that, yes, while some might fit that idea um, of the assimilated model minority that isn't faced on a daily uh, on a daily basis with their other status. There are also huge numbers of people who absolutely do and who probably would feel like they never got out from under the idea of their American otherness. So I guess that would come around to a more recent injustice, which is this idea of model minority that we have been okay, or that we through some sort of mythical universal work ethic of our people have achieved things that other people can't. And it, you know, it really bothers me to hear people say that because I, first of all, it erases the experiences of these huge groups of people. Like Asian Americans have the widest gap between our wealthiest and our poorest members. And, uh, right now it, um, we have a, a couple more minutes here, and there's a little bit more ground I want to try to cover with you. Sure. Um, in your article, you express uh, a lot of ambivalence about engaging with this issue, and in particular, um, that protests against anti-Asian violence uh, could end up being marred by anti-Blackness. Uh, uh, what are you seeing that has uh, heightened your concerns in that way? Um, I think if you if you go to any article that is posted about this, anytime something happens to an Asian American and a news story is posted, the comments will completely disintegrate into uh, really upsetting mutual denial of each other's struggles by Asian Americans and by Black Americans. And, you know, I think that it's completely it's valuable to point out that, of course, Asian American communities, many like do carry prejudice, like uh, the murder of Latasha Harland is brought up a lot as a case where Asian American 
uh, one Asian American group chose to protect a woman who had murdered a teenager rather than take accountability for what had happened. And there's, I, I think a lot of, uh, you know, our communities have inflicted pain on each other and we do have things to work through. My fear is that if we get into this game of needing to have to say that we didn't do those things or that those things were not done to us, we avoid those sort of painful steps towards healing the rifts between our communities. Um, and I, I, you know, there's a lot of things that made me hopeful too. There's one of the marches that I went to was organized, organized by the Black and Asian Solid. They're, they're called the Black and Asian Solidarity March. And, um, right. We we have about uh, 30 seconds uh, max here left to, to go. Real one of the, real quickly, uh, one hopeful thing you, you point to in your in your article is uh, I think it's a Safe Walk program where people are uh, looking for non-police-based uh, solutions to uh, get, pr- pr- providing uh, public safety for people. Real quickly, can you say what that's about? Yeah, I love Safe Walks. I think Safe Walks is awesome. So it was formed by um, some members who'd come out of something called the Street Riders, who were some of them involved in Black Lives Matter. And this was a response to a string of attacks that had happened near the Morgan L train in Bushwick. Um, so because the police were not filling that public safety gap, this group stepped up to help neighbors, to help each other, to give each other safe walks from the subway. And since this spike in Asian violence, they have uh, expanded their efforts to Chinatown and also to Harlem. So they're fundraising to develop an app that will help people request escorted walks from their neighbors in a time where they may feel that their safety is in peril. Okay. Thank you so much, uh, Leah Duran, for uh, coming on the the Independent News Hour this evening. We really enjoyed uh, talking with you about all of this. Thank you so much. You bet. So uh, this uh, just about wraps up our show. Um, as we leave our listeners, uh, our, our final, final song will be Wandering Chan- Chinaman by Chris Kondo, uh, Ijma, Joanne Nobuko Miyamoto, and William Charlie Chin uh, from A Grain of Sand, Music for the Struggle by Asians in America, a 1973 album widely recognized as the first album of Asian-American music. Uh, thanks uh, to my co-host, uh, Amba Gagarian. Also, uh, Rob Katz helped with the, and, and Kenneth Lopez helped out with uh, tonight's show. And uh, we'll be back same time next week. And uh, once again, uh, call that phone number, 516-602-3602.